0: was my pick, thus why I'm here hosting, and I picked 25th Hour. 25th Hour is a film about a man who is spending his last 25th hours before he goes into prison for incarceration, and the events that lead up to that, that's pretty much it. It's a fairly simple plot line. This was a film that I saw when it came out, and I remember really liking it, and it's always stuck with me, even like seen a lot of Spike Lee movies. Spike Lee is one of my favorite directors. This one really has always kind of stuck out for me, but I didn't know why. I always thought it was a different kind of film. So this is kind of my first rewatch after seeing it when it initially came out. And it's interesting how it's not at all the film I remember.
1: Uh, Hopefully that's a good thing.
0: I think that when you look at the discussions that we had this month, so we had Do the Right Thing, And then we had um, Bamboozled. And those are both on the Criterion. And I completely understand 100% why both of those films got a Criterion release. This one, I would be shocked if it did. (laughs) It's such a weird film. It could
1: end up there. You watched this on Amazon.
0: Yeah, I watched it on Amazon.
1: You had to rent it. You can't find it streaming anywhere unless, like me... You took an overnight trip to Madrid, and you logged into Disney Plus there, and then you watched because uh, it's a part of Spanish Disney Plus. That's and crazy. then you have to fly back overnight. It's pretty expensive to run a podcast sometimes.
0: Right, I wish I had known that because I also would have done you that instead of ticket. renting it. Yeah, instead yeah. of renting it on Amazon because <laughs> it was four bucks on Amazon. Yeah, this is a hard film to get, and you were saying that blu-ray dvd prices for it are relatively high because it's just one of those out-of-print films
1: yeah i find it strange that it's out of print too Mm. it's always surprising to
0: me the films that are out of print and what you have and what you don't have access to like i said like my film collection i sat on so many things like i prioritized what i thought was obscure at the moment and i went well that one's never going to be obscure so don't even like rush on that like i'll be able to find dawn of the dead anywhere i'll be able to find like you know, these normal films that used to just be like staples in the video store. And now like suddenly they're lost obscure media and they cost like $200 for a fucking DVD of it. And you're like, what happened here? How did I mess up? This was in a $2 bin. And now, now it's a hundred dollars. It's like somehow overnight, I'm guaranteeing that your collection as well. has probably like tripled in value. Like you're probably sitting on a million dollars worth of
1: product. Oh, I don't know about that, but maybe like some of these things, I got good deals on. Battles Without Honor and Humanity set, it's like a three hundred dollar set now or a four hundred dollar set, and I got it for sixty dollars. Nice. But you never know; they'll they might re release it in four K, and then this thing's
0: worthless. Uh, I've got this DVD called Memories. It's an anime. It's like a compilation anime. It's like three different stories, and one of them was done by the guy who did Akira. I got it for three bucks in a bin. It goes for like $300 online.
1: Yeah. I wanted to buy a Muppet Family Christmas for some time. Oh, good luck. And it was like a $200 DVD. Yeah. So the DVD did come out at some point. And, and also then... good
0: luck getting your hands on Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. That one's also gone into like obscurity as well.
1: We'll find him.
0: Which Emmett Otter is way better than the Muppets Christmas. Emmett Otter is way no. better. Yes. A
1: Muppet <laughs> Family Christmas is the best.
0: Where they have the rats in the walls. Those aren't rats, those are fraggles. Is that, oh, is that it is? That's right, there's crossover in it. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's been a okay. minute.
1: There's a lot of continuity errors in that, but I fucking love it.
0: <laughs> Back to the film that we're speaking about. That is hard to still get, even though it wasn't. This I feel, when you look at the films leading up to this, especially knowing that like he had pretty much made bamboozled like right before this movie. And then he goes into this. I feel like this, it's hard to explain. It's like this film carries a lot of Spike Lee's visual filming style throughout it, but it does not have the feeling or flow of a Spike Lee film in spots. But I feel like the encompassing piece is like, I'm not sure what he was going for with this one. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it it felt very like it wasn't hard to understand what was going on. It was cohesive, but like there are moments in this movie where it starts to really drag and you, you just kind of lose focus on what you're doing. Cause you spend so much time with them having convert. Like uh, when you follow the two friends before they go to the party, And you're listening to them have their conversations and they're going to dinner and they're like talking about their friend's fate, but also just talking about themselves. You get lost in those moments with that and you start to forget sometimes that you're watching a film about a guy who's about to go to jail, if
1: that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, at first, you don't even know that that is what it's going towards. I wouldn't say, though, that it doesn't really matter so much not knowing what you're getting out of the film. It's not always simple to know what the intention of the director was and what they wanted the audience to get out of the film. If you think one thing and I think a different thing, there's a good chunk of it that falls onto the audience as to what they think it means. And once it's out there, it's totally subjective. And I don't necessarily think not knowing what the intentions were makes it a bad movie, because I love lots of movies where it's so fucking ambiguous. I don't know. That's what I like. This film seems to want to lock you
0: into the moment. So even though there's other pieces to the story and it injects those pieces in because those are just naturally going to come up through conversation, it doesn't really show you what happened exactly or give you like as much of that. There's just like pieces of memory at best, which are disjointed anyway, which is how memory comes in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do like this movie where you're talking about the disjointedness and he has a couple edits that he'll have an action happen twice. Within a second? Yeah. I believe there's like a hug. There's a moment with where they like slam a trunk. There's usually some kind of connecting bonds whenever that shot comes up. There's some sort of action that makes them do it and it happens. Maybe doesn't happen a lot. I feel like it's about six times.
0: Yeah. So there are the main character, which is Edward Norton, who's the drug dealer who's going to jail there's his girlfriend and then there's his two friends and then the father all those people have you know final moment interactions with edward norton before he goes to jail which each one of those moments within the course of the film triggers a memory that you go back and you see like a connecting memory of just those people in their their time like when he first met his girlfriend or like when his dad was dealing with the 9-11 stuff or like all those little like just single memories but everyone's got at least one memory like even the dog has a memory of how he got the dog that kind of stuff so like the dog is an important character in the story too like everybody has their individualized memory with edward norton because they're all they're all they are all connected by this individual in the middle edward norton's character
1: Right, and Edward Norton's character, Monty, is the protagonist, but the film follows other characters when he's not around. Yeah, even though he's the main character, yeah. And I feel like the memories are their their perspective a lot of times, too. Yeah, it tends to focus
0: more on the people that are around him, but they're all brought together because of him. And they're all having discussions about him while he's there or not there. It's more like, how did we fuck up? How did we fail him? What could we have done to make things better for him to stop this
1: to have happening? Are we re-
0: just as responsible for it as anything else? So it's kind of-
1: I also do like that they're all kind of of the friends, Those trio of friends. They all judge each other in, in different ways. Like they despise each other and how they run a certain way of their life. Right. And I think that it's it's interesting because they're all bad people- but each is bad each is bad for like a totally different crime so that's where like the morality kind of changes they're not all in the same drug dealing business that edward norton is in right one is like in the financial scams and the other one is basically uh, just a predator you know a predator a sexual predator so
0: his story was the one thing in this movie that made me go what because like it really, really wasn't central to the main story. Like, it felt like this unnecessary, creepy B storyline, like, that wasn't part of the main A storyline. And they were like, So, this is the B storyline. It's like, Well, the B storyline is completely creepy and kind of out of place. And it's just like,
1: You think it's out of place, or you're saying uh, someone else thinks it's out of place?
0: I didn't think it belonged in the movie overall. I thought it detracted because the movie's already long. It's two two hours, 12 minutes, which I found this one dragged a bit. I was like, there's a few spots in this one where we could have cut some stuff down. So if you had just cut out a lot of that kind of, you could have done it a little bit It doesn't need to be
1: that long for sure. It's not a Harry Potter yeah. movie. Right. It's not supposed to go on and on and on and have all these sequels. It ends on the 25th hour which I, I didn't mind Philip Seymour Hoffman's B story so much as I kind of like the idea that he seemingly was an all right person because they threw the other character that Barry Pepper plays, like immediately you knew he was a bad person. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's, I don't know, it's pretty it's pretty quick, but they kind of play around with the idea of like, is he a creep? Because it seems like he's going to be a creep. Right. Because the way that uh, it shot, He's teaching his class, uh, high school class, and they're doing this like cir- circular, like AA meeting type, you know, setup. He's listening to poems. You see that there's like this attention drawn to Anna Paquin's character who has like a crop top and tattoo around their belly button. So there's focus on that belly button. The camera's very much sexualizing her, and there's a point where Edward Norton, who's wandering around in this high school with his dog trying to find Philip Seymour Hoffman, interrupts this class. Philip Seymour Hoffman steps aside to have like this conversation with Edward Norton's character, and Edward Norton draws his attention to Anna Paquin again, and it's him who's like, hey, you got the perks of teaching in high school. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's character kind of like, ah, blows it off. And there's a couple more situations in the movie where he seemingly blows it off. So I kind of like the idea of that third character that doesn't seem like they are bad, have that revelation of being bad.
0: Almost being the worst one out of the group, even. Because when you look at where he's at compared to the rest of them, it's like, oh, I seem like I'm normal, but I'm actually probably the most fucked up one.
1: Well, I think that's where the conversation lies. Yeah. Because they have different crimes that they they commit, I think that there are people that don't see crime as, you know, it's not equal. Murdering somebody is not the same thing as stealing an apple from a grocery store. Right. Those situations are different. And Spike Lee knows that. And I don't know if he necessarily, I'm sure he has his opinion, but it pits different people up against different types of people as to who is the worst person out of these three people for the crimes that they do right do they hurt people all three of them hurt people
0: in different ways yeah who's doing the most damage in the grand scheme like
1: there's always a victim yeah like who do you think's the worst person with the damage that they do on the community
0: i think that the stockbroker is if you really
1: want the honest on that See, I have a hard time weighing them against each other because they're all pretty awful. The drug dealer is basically getting product out there, harming a lot of people physically. Barry Pepper, I can't remember this guy's name. His character, who's the stockbroker, is basically ripping people out of, you know, robbing them blind, robbing them completely blind. So that's attacking them financially
0: and he's being shady within his own company on top of that. Yeah. So he's not even hes not even a, you know, moral <laughs> stockbroker. He's an immoral stockbroker on top of
1: that. Well, he would be immoral anyways, but I know what you're trying to say. He's not a company man. So right. He's putting his own personal interests first. And then third, you have Philip Seymour Hoffman, whose crime is an attack sexually. Right. What is the worst?
0: Going back to Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, too. His friends, when he tries to approach his friends about his feelings towards the student, I mean, Edward Norton's character is just like, let's just wait till she's 18. That's what I did. It's not even a big deal. Like, don't even like worry about it, kind of thing. And like, the other friend is kind of like, whatever. Like, he doesn't seem to like be that mad at him for it. Like, he's like, it's creepy, but like, whatever. So there also doesn't seem to be as much like people are focusing on or paying attention to what Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is doing or where it's heading. And he's giving warning signs to people to kind of prevent him from doing it. And he's still not, he's just kind of getting the go ahead. So when that scenario finally shows up for him, he's like, I don't know, I feel like I've gotten the go ahead all night. Maybe I should just go ahead. And then when he does, it's like, oh God, what have I done? And that seems really interesting, too, because, like, when he stumbles out of the bathroom and they do that shot, the same kind of shot they did when they entered
1: the club. The dolly shot that he pulls. Yeah, that yeah. Spike pulls the person and the camera stationary with the, well, the camera's yeah. moving, but the dolly's attached to it. I really loved his face of, oh, fuck, did I fuck up? Yeah. Just that, like, disappointment that he's a terrible human being as he looks into the camera lens. It's my favorite shot of that dolly use in this movie which there's not too too much
0: i think when it's used it's used well but also feels out of place because the cinematography in this movie is interesting like where it uses some fairly standard shots you know what i mean like it's fixed camera like people having a conversation at a dinner table people having a conversation on a couch people having a conversation on a bench like
1: did you catch the duality between some of those shots yeah the friends talking by the window that long shot of the conversation between barry pepper and philip seymour hoffman it's the same exact angle actually barry pepper's in the same place but when barry pepper is talking to edward norton in the club his five minutes that he wants before he sees the uh mafioso it's the exact same shot yeah i feel that it's because barry is having the exact same conversation but separately from the friends. I kind of think that it's it's really strange because it also has a totally different tone. The tone where they're talking right outside Ground Zero is very disheartening. It's grim. And then when you're looking at the club, it's facing the club with the... I don't know if you can even see dancers, but the lights and stuff and the music. It's a very, like, fun, playful atmosphere. If it's the friends that are kind of the focus in that moment which i guess it would have to be barry he seems to be more okay with edward norton's character than philip seymour hoffman's character philip seymour hoffman's character yeah bothers him because he's very close-minded in that moment even though it's about edward norton and then when you get to the club scene where they're having their conversation it's a little bit more hopeful and bittersweet and uh, maybe that's why the lights are that way but i think that's what barry's character is feeling in that moment
0: I have to say Barry Pepper as well. This is one of his best performances. He's like top tier in this movie. He really steals the show. He's not the main character, but man, he's like one of the best characters in this, like hands down. He really achieves that smarmy Wall Street type really, really well. He does that stuff really good. He's just a really strong actor. His range of emotion in this movie is all over the place. It's really good.
1: Yeah, I I have to say it's probably one of his best performances. Hands down. I believe that this is also something Spike did a great job at pulling out of these characters because there's all different levels of craft or how long they've been acting. And I feel like Anna Paquin is just as good as Brian Cox in this movie. I feel that Spike's guided along very well. And I love Rosario Dawson.
0: I think she's the weakest link in this movie. She's just a terrible actress. I'm not a fan of her. And I feel like the scenes where it's just her and Edward Norton have this acting class quality about them. And I was like, these scenes feel not as so good. So you didn't feel chemistry,
1: as... was your, that's your biggest issue with her.
0: I mean, definitely didn't feel like they were any kind of couple, which I was supposed to feel that way. But also,
1: I don't think that she's a terrible actress, but I will take you up on that. It didn't feel super authentic.
0: I'm not going to say that she doesn't have roles that are good for her. She does. I've seen her do some decent stuff here and there. I'm not a fan. I've never been a fan. I don't think that like they could have cast stronger in this role, probably. I don't know who I would have picked, but I just might have cast stronger actor. What have you? I can see why Spike Lee picked her though, especially at that moment because that was like peak Rosario Dawson in like the the 90s 2000s when she was really
1: Hey, she kind of came off of your Harmony Corrine. She's Harmony she, Corrine. She started with that and rolled in Spike Lee. Then yeah, she got some she Tarantino. Did. Now she's mean. going and going okay. and going. So
0: she has work with Spike Lee and Tarantino. That's interesting. Knowing Spike Lee and knowing Spike Lee's discography up to this point, would you think this was a Spike Lee movie going into it? If you did not see his name on it, like no opening credits, would you have thought this was a Spike Lee film?
1: I would have felt, just from those dolly shots some of those behind-the-head shots, too, that I've seen, and the, the editing. I might be a little suspicious. If you told me that this was a famous director that made this movie, who do I think it is? I might be able to pinpoint Spike Lee from just those small instances. But if I didn't know, I would just assume it was somebody who do it. It wasn't him, and it was somebody that was just kind of stealing those that style.
0: Like, Yeah, I think with what you just said, the moment in this film... That tells me it's a Spike Lee film, which is something I've talked about before going into this. Besides the credit, (laughs) the monologue in the bathroom, the fuck you monologue when he goes in and looks at himself in the mirror. And then the mirror version of him says, like, no, fuck you. And then he's like, fuck. And then he goes through like everything that he's mad at. And he, like, how long do you think that is? The monologue?
1: Three minutes. Well, guess what? We're going to play it for you right now, and we'll be back in three minutes. Fuck you two.
2: Fuck me. Fuck you. Fuck you and this whole city and everyone in it. No, 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 no. no. Fuck the panhandlers grubbing for money and smiling at me behind my back. Fuck the squeegee man dirtying up the clean windshield of my car. Get a fucking job. Fuck the Sikhs and the Pakistanis bombing down the avenues in decrepit cabs, curry steaming out their pores, stinking up my day. Terrorists in fucking training. Slow the fuck down! Is even about getting one of those operations that elongate your penis? Fuck the Chelsea boys with their waxed chest and pumped up biceps, going uh, down on each other in my parks and on my piers, jiggling their dicks on my channel 35. Fuck the Korean grocers with their pyramids of overpriced fruit and their tulips and roses wrapped in plastic. 10 years in the country, still no speaky English. Fuck the Russians in Brighton Beach. Mobster thugs sitting in cafes, sipping tea in little glasses, sugar cubes between their teeth. (laughs) Wheeling and dealing and scheming. Go back where you fucking came from. Fuck the black-hatted Hasidim strolling up and down 47th Street in their dirty gabardine with their dandruff, selling South African apartheid diamonds. Come on, your wife deserves this. Fuck the Wall Street brokers, self-styled masters of the universe, Michael Douglas, Gordon Gecko, wannabe motherfuckers figuring out new ways to rob hardworking people blind. Send those Enron assholes to jail for fucking life. You think Bush and Cheney didn't know about that shit? Give me a fucking break. Tyco, Imclone, Adelphia. Fuck the Puerto Ricans. 22 a car, swelling up the welfare rolls, worst fucking parade in the city. And don't even get me started on the dumb in the cans because they make the Puerto Ricans look good.
1: Who's this fucking
2: guy? Get the no, get fuck out! Fuck the Bensonhurst Italians with their pomaded hair, their nylon warm-up suits, their St. Anthony medallions, swinging the Jason Giambi, Louisville slugger face all trying to audition for the Supremes. Break your fucking teeth! Fucking crack your fucking head Bensonhurst! Bensonhurst! Yeah. Bensonhurst. Yeah. Fuck the Upper Taxi. East Side wives with their Air scarves and Taxi. their $50 Balducci artichoke, Overfed faces, getting pulled and lifted and stretched, all taut and shiny. You're not fooling anybody, sweetheart. Taxi! Fuck the Uptown brothers. They never pass the ball. They don't want to play defense. They take five steps on every layup to the hoop, and then they want to turn around and blame everything on the white man. We're not giving up. Slavery ended 137 years ago. Move the fuck on. Fuck the corrupt cops with their anus-violating plungers and their 41 shots standing behind a blue wall of silence. You betray our trust. Fuck the priests who put their hands down some innocent child's pants. Fuck the church that protects them, delivering us into evil, and while you're at it, Fuck JC, he got off easy. A day on the cross, a weekend in hell, and all the hallelujahs of the legion angels for eternity. Try seven years in fucking Otisville, Jay. Fuck Osama Bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, and backward ass, cave dwelling, fundamentalist assholes everywhere. On the names of innocent thousands murdered, I pray you spend the rest of eternity with your 72 wars. Roasting in a jet fuel fire in hell. You towel-headed camel jockeys can kiss my royal Irish ass. I notice how many of what I once thought were evidences of repression. Fuck Jacob Alinsky. Sexual or otherwise. Whining malcontent. Fuck Francis Xavier Slattery, my best friend, judging me while he stares at my girlfriend's ass. Fuck Naturel Rivera. I gave her my trust and she stabbed me in the back. Sold me up the river, fucking bitch. Fuck my father with his endless grief standing behind that bar, sipping on club soda, selling whiskey to firemen, and cheering Let's the Bronx bombers. Let's go, Yankees! Fuck this whole city and everyone in it. From the row houses of Astoria to the penthouses on Park Avenue. From the projects in the Bronx to the lofts in Soho. From the tenements in Alphabet City to the brownstones in Park Slope to the split levels in Staten Island. Let an earthquake crumble it. Let the fires rage. Let it burn to fucking ash. And then let the waters rise and submerge this whole rat-infested place. Montgomery Brogan, you had it all and you threw it away you dumb
1: fuck and there you have it that is the monologue that lexi was talking about the power of podcasting yeah. we can just bring things to you
0: i think it's a good monologue i think it, it comes from an interesting place i think edward norton executed it well but um it's kind of like a spike lee you know, stationary camera while you talk into it, like do the right thing kind of shots, those sorts of things, but like amped up to 11, like with the addition of like the riot footage and like the, the footage of like nine 11 stuff happening and like the firefighters working and all that kind of stuff intermingled with like the shots of him saying, fuck you on top of that. It was like one of his more powerful Spike Lee, single shot monologues just like taken to like the next possible level that you could take it to. It's like, it's like if, you know, radio Rakeem's was the starting point. This is the end point. This is his, like where his monologues end up going to, so to speak, like the most like editing he can do and the most like bringing it all together in this like way. I I think it's really good. I think it's one of his best ones. And it's got a lot of power behind it when you watch it and he's saying, fuck you to the faces in the community and the faces in the community are just like standing there smiling. Everyone's smiling in a weird way as he's juxtaposed. And then it ends, it ends with him looking out the window and seeing those exact same faces from the montage, smiling at him and laughing at him as he drives away. So it's like, all your fuck use to the rest of society. At the end of the day, That's society an interesting turned perspective. Around and said, fuck you.
1: That's an interesting perspective. You yeah. think when he's looking out the window and he's seeing them, they're laughing at him. That's how you perceive it. I feel like there's nothing wrong like, with well, it. There's nothing wrong with it. I just, yeah, I just think it's interesting though. Cause I, f- I don't know if I felt that way. I I knew what it was from. I knew that it was from that montage and it was lined up to match like what he would be seeing if he was driving by in the car. But like, I never took it as they were. Yeah. It's weird. I took it in a different way where it was like, like they won and he didn't take, he didn't take it personally. Like as if he was being humiliated by them. That's That's fair. It it did feel like talk about in this movie than I thought. (laughs) Yeah, like,
0: this movie This movie comes in waves as well. Like, it starts out one particular way, and you're like, all right, this is going to be interesting. Really good cinematography in that opening shot, too. And then it shifts very quickly to this, like, a lot of, like, two people sitting around having a conversation kind of thing, which is necessary for all of those scenes to accumulate to the, the club scene. The thing is, is though, it takes a long time to get to the club and really like all of the first hour of the film is exposition in a lot of ways to build up to the, the final club scene, which is where like all those final conversations and everything kind of comes to a head and comes together. It's all necessary like story building to get to that exact moment. But like, I'll tell you, like when you get that scene of the back of Edward Norton's head and you come into the club and it pulls back and it shows the whole club. It also has this quality about it. Like, and this is really where our story begins in a lot of ways. And so like, once you get to that part, when you get into the club, the movie just like hits you with a ton of bricks over and over. And it just like comes in this like constant waves and like, I had this experience, like just my emotions watching it. I was like, maybe this movie is not very good. Maybe, like, I let I picked the wrong film. Maybe I made a bad choice. And then these scenes would you come up. You could pick the had. wrong I film did...
1: without it being a bad choice. I just got to say.
0: Well, but then, like, scenes would come up in this movie. And I'd be like, oh, no, I made the right choice. You know what I mean? Like, things would happen did throughout you do it. Right you just right like... <laughs> nah. So it's like, on I'm the one hand, I was like,
1: because I would be I don't... bamboozled if you were (laughs) all right i'm I'm done i'm done i'm sorry go on yeah well he he got game yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're going to everything
0: (laughs) the the sweet blood of jesus anyway
1: (laughs) don't bring jesus into this right um, so uh, there was something so yeah, important like, that Lexi was saying and I fucked it up.
0: No, you're good. Um it's it's like when the movie finally ends, I was like, damn. Like that was a powerful film and I was like, I guess that's why I like this movie. Like it's not really like got a very good first act, but when you come into it, it's like second and third acts, like it really comes together hard. It's really good. Yeah, and- the build
1: up it's what It's what makes the ending more emotional. It wouldn't be emotional if you didn't have that. But I also get where you said that you felt that the movie starts at the club scene. And I get what you're saying. Obviously, the movie doesn't start then. But the story that we typically would see would start then. We would have that prison story, which I guess we kind of do with American History X, mind you. Right. You have the idea. I mean... Oh, there's so many things that can happen to him that it still is kind of ambiguous. You get, you get the idea of where he's going, but you don't necessarily know what the results are going to be. And that's a big theme that's brought up between these friends are where will they be in seven years? Where, where is everybody going to be after this? Is, are they still going to be his friends? Is he still going to have his girlfriend? I don't no. Cause spike makes it pretty ambiguous. Like, uh, the girlfriend you find out that she's extremely trustworthy and was always on his side right but he does tell her he says you know you do whatever you have to do while i'm i'm gone it's sort of like wh- which way is she gonna head we don't get to see it but is she gonna be seeing somebody else you know or is she waiting around for him or is she life you know like yeah you don't know right more morally the alive thing wouldn't matter so much it's just is is she there for him or not
0: i mean brian peppers goes through when he's by himself with um god why can't i remember his name philip seymour hoffman when they were having their conversation he's like nah fuck him he's gone he's like you think i'm gonna see him after like this he's like seven years seven years is like a long time like i'm fucking out i'm gone like you're not going to see me. He's. You're not going to see him again. He's going to fucking jail and that's it. And we'll never see him again. And this is the goodbye to our friend kind of thing. And he's like imprinting that on like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't give a shit. Whatever. And then like when he's with him, he's like, I got you. I'll be there for you. I'll be standing there the day you get out. Like, I'll. I'll. we'll open a bar together. I'll do whatever I can. You like, know, at
1: that moment, I kind of felt that he was lying. That, right, but, I did But too. later with the, in the club scene, I thought I thought he meant it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think like he's going through his own range of emotions over the whole thing. So like first he's like angry then he's, you know, sad then he's like, what have you. But like by the end of it, like he realizes that he doesn't want his friend to go and he's really upset about this, but he's like Wall Street super tycoon and can't show emotions so like his whole night is just him hiding emotions and like not dealing with them properly philip seymour hoffman is the one who i feel like truly doesn't seem to give a shit that is this is happening to his friend like he presents to his other friend that he cares and he she he's obviously like sad but like he seems more hyper focused on his own shit than he is really worrying about like so his time like, been down. The it's funny
1: cuz they kind of like leapfrog over each other's back as to who there's a lot of layers here to to understand if if I mean obviously it shades of gray but how you how you consider these characters amongst each other if you think of them as they all have done their crimes and their crimes are all equal now you get that personal side of them where how he's shown that Barry Pepper seems to actually grow and care about his friends. And obviously Edward Norton cares about his friends too. He's maybe more the middle man where he goes between selfishness and him and others, but he, he leans more towards others. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman, that's in it for himself, totally selfish. Like that's another pull towards these, these, emotions that you might have if crime is not a
0: Edward Key Edward Norton keeps them together very clearly like he's the glue that keeps that group together and i think that it's one of those things where Edward Norton engages in the most visibly bad action like he is a drug dealer he deals with mobsters Ed is all very open and out there to his friends. It's not like nobody knew what he did. They talk about how he's always done this. This isn't anything new. Nobody tried to stop him. But that the core person who sells the drugs is a good person. This is just something he got into and he kind of got too deep because he started out just selling weed. And then it just kind of escalates. And that's the way most drug dealer stories do. But it sounds like Edward Norton is a good dude. Whereas the other two have gone into respectable fields. So on the surface, they look respectable, but that the actual people that they are and the lives of the living are shitty and that they are shady themselves. And that even though on the surface Edward Norton is a drug dealer, he's not a bad person and that they're bad people and that they kind of realize that he's the thing that keeps them all kind of in check because it seems like everybody's lives are going to fall apart once this guy goes away.
1: This came out in 2002. So X-Men was already out and Edward Norton mentions X-Men. He specifically is talking about the character of Kitty Pride. Yeah, he was in this universe. Do we assume that Brian Singer's X-Men from 2000 doesn't exist? And he's talking about the comic because now when he sees Anna Paquin's character, you think he would think, oh, that's Anna Paquin from X-Men.
0: I didn't even think about that. But like, also, I was like, what kind of a man's favorite character is Kitty Pride?
1: <laughs> <laughs> he liked power to go yeah, through walls. Well, he was going fair. to jail, so going through walls would probably be a really good power to have at that moment.
0: Uh, yeah, Kitty Pride's actually a good character. I just, uh, it's like, that's a weird character. I thought that was a weird reference, too. I was like, oh, okay. And then he's
1: not in uh, X-Men but he's in X2. The actor that plays Pyro. There is a Pyro in X-Men, but he's a different actor in X2. He's he's I working liking X2. What?
0: I said I think I liked X2. I think that was the I, one liked that I liked X2 a lot.
1: X2 came out the year at, like probably 6 months after this movie came out. Anyways, that said it'd be very weird Edward Norton does not see this character. But it would be very interesting if he did see this character and he's like, wait a minute, I think I'm going crazy because I'm pretty sure I'm seeing the cast of X-Men everywhere in New York City.
0: you can do what you want as a filmmaker, but once again, like, knowing Spike Lee, like I said before, like, would you think this is one of his films? This is, like, I think one of the first movies of his. I mean, he's always cast white actors in his films, but this... His casserole is predominantly African American, with like, you know, white secondary characters. Why do you think he chose this time to go with the casting that he did and the direction that he did, and instead of making it, you know, about the African American side of things after nine eleven, like he focused on like this very particular do you think the nine eleven stuff was even supposed to be part of it, or like he just found a way to juxtapose that in later on or?
1: I would guarantee that they they might if they didn't rewrite it, they reshot it. I don't know where they're at in the filmmaking process because this movie comes out a year later. So they could already have been filming or didn't start filming yet. They probably filmed this early. Twenty two thousand and two, I'd assume,
0: because I realized the shots in it, like the shots that they did of the footprint of the building and stuff like that, like that wasn't like CG that was, like, a legitimate shot.
1: like Yeah, like, he, he went doesn't... up there and they just did a shot out the window wherever the fuck they were Yeah, tended It was that apartment.
0: So, like, it was interesting to see how much of the city he shot, like, live right after 9-11 occurred. And, like, it was, it's, like, it's not focused on the film. The film's not about it. But it's, like, an important part of what's going on in everybody's lives at that moment. And he does a good job of incorporating it in without, like, being forced and the thing is like
1: it's not everyone's mind can... like the characters keep bringing right. up osama bin laden you know yeah it's 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 definitely these characters the at a very specific too. point in time in history in a very specific place
0: yeah i, I think going back to what i was gonna say um 911 affected the country in in one way but um no one was more affected by 9-11 than New Yorkers. Like it had an impact on them on a very personal level. It was their home. It's their city. It's their life. And, you know, Spike Lee is a New Yorker. And I think like he took it personally, like he made this film very personal in his presentation of it and how it was handled and stuff. And I think it's a really, um, I just don't want to use the word good, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's a really good look, like a good example of how to go about this right in film there's a way to be like too over the top too patriotic to what have you and i think that he injected those feelings of how new york was feeling after that into this film really nicely without like
1: yeah i brought that tone of the slapping you in the, the face
0: characters. with it yeah because it brings it across the whole city it's like this man's going to jail But like we're all feeling a sense of oppression right now, with after what's happened in our city, we're all feeling a sense of like fear and darker tones and stuff.
1: So I mean, it makes me think of I'm a huge fan of the Beastie Boys, and they actually, after 9/11 happened, they were in the middle. Well, when it happened, they were in the middle of recording, uh, what became the Five Burrows. They said that the tone it totally changed. They like went back to square one and they started writing their songs because of how emotionally they felt from what happened. And this is what I'm seeing here with Spike Lee. It's the same thing. So I don't know if he wrote this right after it happened or it changed the story that he was writing or changed how the story needed to be told. Uh, I, I really just, I like how that, how much it affects the film and it affects the characters and it, it affects the, the, the crew too that you don't even get to see. And I kind of like that it's you, you're getting that emotion with, you know, right after the towers fell and people are just trying to get back to normal. And those beautiful shots that he has of just ground zero being cleaned up and they bring yeah. in the air pollution and all that kind of shit. So. Like, if you want to look back on
0: film, like in history, like this, I think this film is an excellent, like time capsule of 2002, like what was going on in our country with people and like visually he captures that tone so well. I also like that this one, he very clearly went back to film to shoot on this one. Whereas like with bamboozled, he was using like that first generation digital. So like this film looks really good. Like when the way that he shoots the city, he's got those like big, wide towering shots and they're all shot in this rich color film, but the color is still washed out. Like it's, it's just really great shots. I love the shots you get to the city at night. They look like something like right out of like a 1980s kind of film, but they're, you know, modern shots. Like it's good.
1: Yeah, he tries to incorporate the shape of the buildings into it, too. Like, there's a distinct background for almost every situation. And, like, I do do notice a lot of low angles. And I feel like, yeah, I'm sure it's to make the characters feel larger than life. But also, it's to show off the architecture of that building somewhat. Because he chose a specific place to shoot the scene. So that obviously is in his mind. I loved all the American I, flags on everything, like the the moment at the end with his his dad and they're driving across the country with that American flag, f- you know, fluttering around, and it has the yeah. American flag magnet on the back. It, it's exactly how everything was then. I'm surprised well, they had the one dad, flag on the car.
0: The dad's got the firefighters bar, and like it's got the wall of like you know victims of the the tragedy and all that kind of stuff, the memorial and that kind of thing. And, and like firefighters were heavily impacted by nine 11. So bringing a firefighter into the story, you know, loops it back around to like making it personal, bringing it back to New York, so to speak. Cause the New York firefighters were the ones that were devastated, like not firefighters across the nation. Like New York firefighters are still recovering from the shit they have ptsd and like permanent damage from like working in it and dealing with it at the time yeah a lot of them have have died
1: a lot of them have died post 9-11 but more than likely because of 9-11 most likely because of the polluted air that they were breathing
0: there's been a lot of people that have died from the the toxic fumes and just the dust and debris and stuff like that. But on the other side of it, there's also a lot that have committed suicide because suicides become a big problem with, you know, us not giving enough mental treatment to these people after these things happen. So they just have to deal with it. When I mean, you have to carry that with you and that tragedy with you. Like it'll, it'll come crashing down on you. It's the same reason with the uh, January 6th, you know, police officers that have, you know, some of them have committed suicide and stuff like these big traumatic events. Like you don't realize how it impacts the people on the front line. We don't do enough for them as a country. We need to give them greater support and what have you. Not just thoughts and fucking prayers, but like real, actual, physical support.
1: Yeah. The film doesn't necessarily focus on that, which is now a huge focus in modern times, is the the repercussions of what happened and how much these firefighters have gone through. You know, Spike saw it, but I don't know if he necessarily knew how it was going to be against the rest of the country years to come. That's a gamble. Right. That's a mystery bag. Did you see
0: uh, King of Staten Island? Yeah. That's, you know, his story about having to deal with his father dying in the nine eleven 11 stuff because his dad was a firefighter who died during nine eleven that's something that he has to deal with. So I brought that forward in that movie. And I think that movie is the first time in a long time I've seen that discussion come up and done well.
1: Yeah, cool. What was everything right after 9-11? It was the hero movies. The first responders are the heroes. Or United 93, the heroes right. are the people. We persevered. and They took one for the country. And I'm not saying that the movies are bad. They're not... Uh, but that's just that's the focus of everything from that time, so yeah. I think it was kind of nice to not necessarily well, it, have Spike a hundred percent focus, but get that that New York City post nine eleven tone so well,
0: right? And not just what you were saying either, like with the hero stuff, but like taking films that were almost finished and then hacking them up and changing them to fit. A more positive narrative at the time too so like a lot of lost like ideas at that time period got you know catered to patriotism and trying to make us feel you know empowered as a country rather than watching anything like bleak or kind of off-putting or what have you so there was like a lot of films that like suffered because of this a lot of a lot of weird because i still don't use the one thing i've never understood. Why would you cut the Twin Towers out of Spider Man two? Was it no was it Spider Man or Spider Man two? It was Spider Man, wasn't it? When it yep, came Spider-Man. out and they were like they CG'd them out and I was like, You should leave them fuckers in there. I'm like, that movie was made right before that happened. I'm like, I think you leave the towers in as like a an I don't even know how almost. much was
1: shot for that movie, but it, there the teaser trailer was Spider Man catching a helicopter that just stole a bunch of money between the World Trade Center. That gotcha. wasn't in the movie, I guess. It was just for the, you know, just for the advertising. But, yeah, there isn't a moment when you see them in the city, even if there's not a moment that takes place, like, up close and personal to it. You don't even see them in the background.
0: Right. It's funny, you know, major events like, like 9-11, they impact the country, but the, the real interesting part in a lot of ways is how long the impact occurs across um, culture and uh, media and how long we held on to, it's not appropriate yet, it's not appropriate yet in film and television. Like we were like 10 years there that like you had to be like careful about what you said and what you did and all that kind of stuff. And a lot, a lot, a lot of like that heavy paid, that's how you got movies like, you know, Team America, World Police was because it just went so down that like,
1: or are Toby keith
0: yeah. rabbit anti- hole
1: <laughs> the, anti- the anti-terrorism terror- stuff
0: yep. yeah yeah it was just endless and that's all everything became and and it was like that was that was like 10 years of our lives was just that <laughs> so and it's it's like and when now you it's look all back homegrown. on culture
1: you got yeah. xenophobia and it's in this movie too but i mean that that still exists That's the number one reason for fear, apparently, in America in 2022. But in actuality, almost all of our problems are actually done domestically.
0: Yeah, we we let the fear win when we let the terrorists fly those planes into the buildings instead of using it as a moment of empowerment amongst our people we said, how can you protect us more? What rights can I give up? And as a nation, we gave up a lot of our own rights and freedoms for the sake of feeling a sense of protection. And so that's how Homeland Security got made. And that's how all these invasive like, things that we live with on a day-to-day basis now came into being and stuff. Things that people are suddenly having problems with and the deep state and all this kind of stuff. Like, It's all coming from... like major events like this, giving people the power to be able to enact bullshit rather than like follow proper rules because people are scared and they just need to feel a sense of security at that moment. So you fuel your own agenda based on that. And that goes, that's kind of the turning point of where our country at where we're at right now is kind of, you know, they still want (laughs) it's, I don't understand what they want anymore, but we don't want to be a nation anymore. We want to, we want to split down the middle and go back to the Civil War, apparently. So we can. Yeah, empower. it is a
1: weird. It is a weird time. I'm completely surprised by the way that things went. Oh, growing is. up in the 90s, I felt things would be more technologically advanced and.
0: The '90s were so progressive too, as like, we like, uh, the that's when they came up with affirmative action and like the workplace to make sure that there was equal like, that stuff. More women were getting like positions of power and things. More women were getting opportunities and things. Like, we were having such great like paradigm shifts in film and television. We had some of the best like female heroes at like, in like the early '90s. Like right there, like we had some of the best like representation Not even just of this that, stuff. Just
1: in real life, I. I expected even going to school. I'm the whole time I'm being raised, I'm being told to like, you're going to make it through high school. You want to make it through high school. Also, you're going to want to go to college. And it's weird how dumb some people end up being when you're like, you went to the same school that I did. We learned the same exact stuff. How come you're buying into conspiracy theories and a bunch of crazy ass shit? Right. Well, it's, it's like, like they, my best it's the outside turned them stupid, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. To
0: me. Well, it's like I think I think the thing that blows my mind with all of this discussion is. Have you ever actually watched the government do anything? Because let me tell you, the very idea that you think that our government is capable of withholding some of these greatest secrets ever That they have like the ability to create all these like, oh, this person's running the show and that's running the show. I'm like, no, man. Honestly, the simplest answer is the right answer most of the time. And the simplest answer is sometimes the scariest. Like, what's the answer? They don't give a fuck. That's why they did it. It's like, oh, it's because of this. No, it's because they don't care. Right. Or because they have their own agenda.
1: Find out when you find something out Then their tune changes. Like when I was a kid, when I was
0: young, I was like not a conspiracy theory person. But, you know, I believed in UFOs and I believed in like stuff. And it was like I had to start asking proper questions. I was like, you can't just like pour your faith into something with so little, you know, evidence. All right, Mulder. Like this, but this whole idea that like, see, he's he was my favorite when I was a kid. And I look back at him now when I watch that show and I'm like, you're an asshole. I'm like, y- you're always jumping to conclusions and, and like assuming the worst." And it happens to be, you just get lucky because you're on X files, but like you know, those he's people assuming, but he's also
1: pr- proving proving himself right all the time. Yeah. So it's,
0: it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, you have to realize that like, like, Do you really think that we as a world, as an entire planet, that all of these nations that we've created on this planet who can't fucking get along on a good day are going to fucking get together and come up with a massive plan that that there's going to be a fake virus and we're all going to work together on this fake virus plan called COVID and we're all going to what fucking world do you live in that you think that China is going to work with us on a master plan with Russia as well and all these other countries that we're always like at fucking war with or always in a cold war with or always at some sort of standoff with. Even when we're on the best of terms with these people, we're not even on good terms with them. So, you really think that we could all fucking get together I know as what a it world? Is.
1: They don't believe that those countries exist, they've <laughs> never even been there. They well, only, those are people who think the Holocaust isn't real. There's only the United States and nothing else. Everything else is a myth. Everything yeah. else everything you see on TV is made up. <laughs> see it makes yeah. sense when it stops making sense.
0: Right. So you have to go so far down a rabbit hole of insanity and lock into that to be able to follow these agendas and it's just like Nine Eleven started a lot of this, though. It started us down this hole. It started us back down, being scared, giving at least up our rights. generation. Yeah, I think that Gen Z. I have, and it's weird to have it, but I have a lot of faith in Gen Z, like as a as a generation, because like I spend a lot of time with them, and they're not as stupid as they seem and they seem to have a really good like grasp on how shitty the world is and what to expect going out into it and i feel like that before they even got started on the path that the rest of us did that they're like i ain't fucking doing that i'm not gonna walk out of school and like put up with that shit and all that kind of stuff so like maybe their generation can come in and put a stop to things because our generation was taught to work ourselves to death and that's what we do and so, and we don't have the ability anymore at age like 40. And also we were to told that hard
1: it. work would get us places and we learned that quickly too. that's not necessarily true.
0: And you need a college degree in order to do it. So all we have is like thousands and thousands of dollars of debt from going to school and nothing to show for it and no overarching careers or whatever. Like you own your own home, right? Like you don't rent.
1: Yeah. Um, I I do feel, though, that the thing that bothers me the most is not the idea of not being able to get a a job afterwards. It's the the boomer generation changing their stance from go to college so you can make something of yourself as opposed to now where they said you should have just went into trade school. That's not what you said. That wasn't the message before. The message was – No, it wasn't. The message was go to college – It'll make you smarter. It'll prepare you for the real world. You'll be able to get better jobs. You can't get better jobs. Uh it might have made some people smarter, but not everyone that smart. So, you know, they're not able to be entrepreneurs right out the gate and try to re figure out their entire lives.
0: Well, how many people went to school for arts degrees and then got out in the real world and realized that they're fucking worthless? Like I, I have an art I have so many arts degrees, they're fucking worthless. Like my degrees are not what get me work. My work experience is what gets me work. My twenty years of working in retail and my all this other shit, like my background in driving, like it's got nothing to do with anything that I went to school with. But I still have the debt from school. So I have a twenty thousand dollar debt looming over my head at all times because You know, I went back to school a second time and got an even more worthless degree. Like, I do think education
1: is important. I just feel that these colleges take advantage of it. They think you should always
0: educate yourself. You should always educate yourself.
1: You got to take that back a little bit because that's where you run into these conspiracy theorists, too. They do their own (laughs) research. You know what I mean? Like, they think (laughs) that they're doing the research. And I said, if I turned in that. As a research paper with no sources like you did, I would fucking fail in grade school
0: for a report like that. You got to ask questions. You got to ask the bigger questions. Like when you see something and it seems a little unusual, ask bigger questions and ask them to the right places. Don't just go. Well,
1: that's Go to like
0: five different sources and like that kind of stuff. Because there's shit you'll read and you'll be like, that just doesn't sound right. Real sources, places
1: that you know that have been around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Like don't. Don't, you know, get your information off I found off this of on conspiracy.com. And... and this carpenter yeah. down in Florida, he verified it. With zero journalism skills. We That's kinda, what's
2: happening. Got...
1: You did it. See, this is,
0: this is what's happened. This is what happens when you talk about Spike Lee. <laughs> Every one of these episodes has recessed into this in some way or another. Because you can't have a discussion about Spike Lee without having social and political discussions because here's everyone a political movies discussion dripping with it
1: I actually saw it last night which made me laugh uh, I don't know why it popped up because I don't think I said on Twitter or anything that I was watching 25th hour but I had gotten up to go to the bathroom so movies paused and I got on Twitter and like uh, Scott Derrickson who directed the black phone had just retweeted, a question about what's it said. The tweet was, Hey, Caucasians, what's your favorite Spike Lee movie that it's not 25th hour or inside fan. And, uh, <laughs> it was weird that that would got brought up like that. His answer is probably the same as my answer, which is do the right thing. But I do think it, I did think that when you picked this movie, well, not like how Caucasian of you, but I was like, "Hmm, you went for the almost all white cast.
2: That I did it some on good people in it, though.
1: I don't remember. Um, I fucking don't remember the actor's name. I but the guy that plays Clay on- Davis from The Wire, and I believe in this movie, the way that he's like, he's the he's the agent that's always he's talking too much, you know, still talking when he's got all that dick in his mouth. He has that line where he's like, she. Oh my
0: God. That was the best. Yeah. He does it like constantly. He,
1: he does it constantly. Actually. It's another one where Spike Lee has him say it again. He, he edits it like (laughs) after the scene is over and then he says it one more time. And the character brings that catchphrase into the wire. I think it's that way. I don't think, I don't think that it happened the reverse way. Um, well, The
0: Wire came out. Wasn't it 05? The Wire came out? Uh, I think The Wire
1: ended then. It came out in 2001. So The Wire is out. Oh, shit. The okay. Wire is out. Um, I don't remember if he's in season one Great show. You know, you got... And like, they were talking the about best. things, too. Like, remember whenever he's in the monologue and he's talking, he brings up Sopranos. So, yeah. No, I mean, that was 99. So we're getting that into the conversation of... of, of There's a... There's a lot of crossover post nine 11, uh, tone that's gone throughout the entire city.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of crossover between, um, fight clubs, monologue from Edward Norton and the 25th hours monologue from Edward Norton, where he's like, fuck your latte grande and fuck your, fuck your khakis and all that kind of shit, which I know, um, Brad Pitt and him go back and forth with that. But like, you know what I mean? Like, he already had a lot of that, like, anti establishment, anti, like, consumerism stuff that was going on at that time period. And then that attitude that was already going on with people that, like, anti consumerism, fuck Starbucks, fuck, like, shit, whatever, when 9 11 happened, a lot of that, like, shifted to start incorporating, you know, the anti terrorism sentiments instead of it being just the straight like fuck corporate America kind of attitude that was going on at that time period.
1: What is your favorite Spike Lee movie? That's a good question. I He's know. got
0: a lot of really good movies. It's a great question. I really like I really like Crooklin. I like this movie a lot. I think this was good. I think uh Do the Right Thing is excellent. Um fuck, I can't think. He's just—he's so good. You know what I'd love to see him do, genuinely? I'd like to see him do a horror movie. Like, kind of outside of the comfort zone kind of thing. Or, on the other side of the coin, some sort of African-American-based science fiction that could be really interesting to see from him. But I don't know what he would do. You know what he'd be really good to direct? Uh, have you heard of um, Give Me Liberty, the comic? No. It's a Frank Miller comic. And it's about how corporations have taken over everything. It's based in the 80s. So they like that cyberpunk corporate takeover kind of shit. And uh, this African-American woman is like, you know, she's slave level and she fights her way through all these wars and she keeps surviving. So they like start respecting her as a general and eventually her rank gives her the ability to have a voice. And then she starts speaking out against all the oppression going on in America and in society. And so that's why it's give me Liberty. So, or give me death, obviously, but it's, it's something I've been wanting them to tackle for years. I don't know if they can make a TV show out of it or whatever, but he could do it really good. I'd like to see him tackle something like that, where it's like got a little bit of a cyberpunk feel, something a little like different. Because I think he's capable of, dealing with that sort of stuff like well old boy is garbage it shows some ability to work with more creative fantasy type elements in some ways so he took a lot of the fantasy out of that too when he did his version but
1: i'm just mauling it all over
0: yeah i the you, you know
1: i mean i of of the three with... movies that we watched i saw the importance in all of them i did yeah. Bamboozled is still the hardest one for me to watch. Um, I, I don't find it as funny as, as I find it, like, humiliating and devastating. But maybe that's how not supposed to feel. Do the Right Thing, though, I feel it... Do the Right Thing is, like, the prime example of it handles the subject of racism in America very well. It touches on big subjects like the police very well. And... Yeah. And he is able to inject a lot of comedy too into some of these situations that are like day to day situations that he's experienced. So right. I I kind of like yeah that's where I would throw it as like I mean it's it's a great example of what's going on in this country today. I don't know if it necessarily has the answers it doesn't have to have the answers it has it's putting it on display which is exactly what it's being right. meant to do. But yeah, overall, I don't know. I mean, I really like Malcolm X as well.
0: Yeah, I've not actually seen that one. I've not seen all of his movies. It's not it's not someone I've like seen Check every single... Check out Summer of Sam- this recommendation. Summer of Sam is excellent. I mean, that was top Black tier.
1: Black Klansman. Watch Black Klansman.
0: Yeah, I need to watch that one. I really need to watch that one. That one's been on my list for a while. It's I very good. I watched his good. war movie. It's
1: very good. And it also has one of those, like, how we've had... In every single movie, there's some sort of connection to something that's actually happening and and going on. And in Black Klansmen, it literally, for me, has the most impactful real-world tie-in. It literally made me cry watching it.
0: I need to watch that one. We're supposed to be covering Detroit on here, right? Because I haven't seen that one either, and I really want to see that one.
1: Eventually possibly two directors from now we're going to be doing Catherine Bigelow and I haven't seen Detroit either, but that is Chuck's pick. And I'm interested to see how it's still, I know that it's, it's, it's playing around with some of the same themes that we've been talking about on th- yeah. these Spike Lee episodes. So I'm interested to see what her, her take on it is.
0: Yeah, I am too. I've wanted to see that one for a while, so I'm glad that we're covering it and I can just throw it on my list. Um, I know that this was a film with Spike Lee with a white cast. Um, I asked the question, why do you think he made that choice? Um, I didn't pick it. I didn't pick it because of that. I picked it because when you look at the discography of Spike Lee, this does stand out amongst the other ones as a film. I wanted to ask questions. You know what I'm saying? Like where I didn't pick this because I was like, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a white person and I need my white agenda. and like, none of that's going on. I'm like, it's just when you look at the films that he makes, this one does stand out amongst his films and it stood out amongst the films that we covered this month, every film, whether like the first two films that we covered had the same general kind of like theming where it was like African-American culture, you know, um, police brutality, social commentary, that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of crossover between Bamboozled and I mean, Bamboozled is discussing it in a modern media setting, you know, do the right thing is discussing it from that period that he was dealing with it in 1989. Um, There's a lot of growth and progression with him as a filmmaker and those discussions, but this one compared to the rest of his discography does stand out amongst his, typical types of films. So I wanted to go back and discuss this one. If we're going to have a discussion just because of all of his films, I thought this one stood out amongst his, his works, so to speak.
1: Now I don't remember inside man too much.
0: I never saw that.
1: I remember the twist. I remember what the twist was pretty sure I own the movie, but I don't know if I've really even watched it since it came out.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't even remember that one. I didn't even realize he directed that one. Like that was one of the Well, no, that's the one he
1: took his joint off of.
0: Yeah, well, it was a big Hollywood film. So when it came out, I didn't really care. Not cuz I wasn't willing to watch that kind of stuff, but there are a lot of those like big kind of set in reality kind of coppish type things that I'm just like, yeah. I don't like cop stuff very much. I don't watch cop stuff too much. I watch the odd thing here and there. I don't like westerns very much either. So.
1: Oh, Lexi, get I don't out mean here. to. I don't
0: mean to not like the westerns. Like I talked about, but this with Jacob. Like I want to every time I see western stuff. I'm like, oh, that's exciting, and then I like watch it, and I was like, oh, it's awful. I didn't like it. So I just, I think I like it, but I don't but I have seen some really good stuff with it. So it's not like I don't respect it. I just kind of We got to get you watching a western you
1: enjoy. it's out there. We got to find it. Can I like we Tombstone? What the hell? You said you don't like Tombstone's westerns, but you like Tombstone?
0: Tombstone's not bad. That one's good. Oh my uh, god.
1: You're caving already.
0: I uh I actually didn't hate the original True Grit with uh John Wayne. Let we cover that. I actually really like the original.
1: But that one was better you didn't the like original. the new one, No, I hated
0: the new one. thought it sucked. I thought he was an annoying rooster Coburn with his weird voice and shit. And I'm like, nah, no. plus he didn't have a cat, and I was all about him having a cat in the original. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob's tried this already. You're gonna have a hard game with this.
1: making you find a western you're like. We've got two of them, yeah, yeah. I guess that's I'm fair. not even ch- I barely said anything, and you've uh, revealed two. I like Psy Western.
0: Psy Western's awesome.
1: I think that counts, though. Sci-Western? So, like, what's your favorite Psy yeah. Western? Is it Back to the Future Part 3? Oh. No, Oblivion. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I have Oblivion with Tom, Tom Cruise. No,
0: not that one. That's not a Psy Western.
1: I didn't, I couldn't the, immediately think of anything that was Western in it, but I was like, well, maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, it's from the, uh, like, it's from Full Moon Entertainment. That should help you right there. And if you're familiar with Full Moon, They you go. He Puppet Master and all that kind of shit. It's like a literal Western, but like, it's, it's like aliens and shit like that. It's really good. I really liked it. We'll fix you. Yeah. I think Psy Western is an underrated genre that needs more more time. I really wanted to be into Cowboys and Aliens and that movie was such a piece of shit. Yeah,
1: that was just a bad movie.
0: <laughs> it was terrible. So fucking bad. I was so here for it too.
1: We'll find something eventually. Uh overall though, I I did I would revisit all of these movies. You know.
0: Yeah, I'm actually after this small viewing, I was like, I got to finish my Harmony Corrin collection, which I only need one more to finish that.
1: But so I you think went Spiky down that path, a- and Chuck went down Miyazaki, but he's failing because he's got six to go. That's, uh,
0: in his defense, Harmony Corrin only has six films and a bunch of shorts. So it's a lot easier on my end to go, like, through all that then i
1: refuse to defend chuck
0: that's that's fair and he didn't even show up today so (laughs) i'm
1: not gonna attack him i just i just absolutely refuse to protect him
0: that's that's completely fair fair i think we pretty well covered this movie i think we covered all of its deeper subjects that the film itself the one thing i did want to say was i love the ending when the dad is explaining what we'll do instead of you go to jail and like he has yeah it gets a little ambiguous for a
1: minute there huh
0: yeah because then you're like you start watching it and then you're like oh shit is this really how the movie ends but then it's like nah he just goes to jail fuck it And it's just like oh because it's like it has this like bittersweet like pimp poignant moment and then it's just like nah he just goes
1: Brian to Brian Cox is talking in future tense but it does play around with like you know he is giving that speech at that time so there is possibility that everything that he says is a is a trip that he kind of goes down it's not the most ambiguous cuz it he goes to jail the ambi what's ambiguous is what's going to happen after the the seven years right. Or less. Well, I do have a question think, though. Maybe you have an answer. Sure. Why did he have twenty five out? At- Why was he able to roam around before showing up for jail?
0: Um, depending on the crime and if you were bailed. Um. So he probably posted bail. So we um, think that he
1: posted bail, which makes sense. Because that's but, the only
0: reason he would be out.
1: But maybe he's not, maybe he's going to either take a plea that he didn't talk about. So maybe he's going into something to, he's either going in to confess or he thinks he's going in to lose. Like a hero sort.
0: If you have, if you're going to court for something, like whatever your charge is, and you posted bail then you don't have to go to jail until the judge like sends the final gavel slam. I don't fucking know what the yeah, word but for you it think is. That
1: that is usually at a, end of a trial. They don't usually yeah. let you leave and then decide and I'm gonna I don't know. assume seen... I'm gonna assume it's one of I'm gonna assume that He doesn't seem like he talks or anything. I feel like he seems like he's just going to admit to his crimes and do his time.
0: They do this with celebrities. I've seen this done with celebrities that go to jail. Like, they don't. And then they'll they'll bail jump. And if they bail jump, then they get in more trouble. Like, okay, you have to go to jail. You better show up on this day. Because if you don't show up on this day, like, warrants and arrests and the world will be out to hunt you kind of thing. But, like, we're trusting that you're going to show up. So... So that's also like a trust on you. You need to kind of do with that. But uh, I think it's it's fine. It works.
1: <laughs> I mean, I us, wasn't even sure that um, like Edward Norton goes into the school and they're like, sir, you can't be here, which made me think it was a high school. But then. Yeah, I thought it was, too. But then the poetry thing and. I don't know. Just the way that Edward Norton was acting, I was like, "Oh, maybe these aren't high school kids. You know, maybe this I is a college and that woman just knew where to find him that he was at this college." But then I thought it was
0: a pretentious um like like private school.
1: And then you got uh Mr. Phil- Philip Seymour Hoffman too that takes it to that like when he starts screaming, and he's like, "She's seventeen, a high school student." I'm like, "All right, thanks for the exposition. I absolutely know now." Right.
0: I think I think we said everything there is to say about this film.
1: Uh, at least that it. I can think of right now. Yeah. What are we doing next month after we take a week off?
0: So, next month we are talking about Neil Blomkamp. He's he's my director pick um for August and he is a South uh South African director. Um he's only got three films, so everybody's film was already picked for them, which makes it nice and easy. But most exciting, we'll have the opportunity to talk about Wert.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's pretty much so the they- only opportunity you really get to talk about them, huh? Get to, yeah, get to talk about South African hip hop, man. Don't do that.
0: Got to gotta get the Afrikaans going.
1: I'm cringing. I'm cringing, cringing right but it's,
0: now. It's slang, man. It's, it's Africans. I don't speak it. I understand <laughs> it, though. It's kind of interesting when you get into like South African culture, it's fascinating. I'm super into South African, um, culture as a whole. Um, Neil Blomkit like, so there we'll get into it when we get into our month, but there was this weird period there in like the late two thousands, uh, right. Going right up through like the mid 2010s where America kind of had this relationship with South Africa. And we started bringing a bunch of like South African content in and, Diane Wirt was one of those things, but, you know, Neil, Neil Blomkamp was the other. And, um, now, um, South African film is becoming like regular to us. Like it's becoming part of our, you know, normal film repertoire, so to speak, the same way that Korean film is and stuff like that. So, um, I think the South African boom is kind of at a decline a little bit there, but, um, we're going to get to cover that. It's an interesting well, That's because
1: South Korea is on the rise. Squid yeah. Game got nominated for a bunch of Emmys. It'd be reasonable. Yeah, it'd be it pretty an cool show. if it won. I think that's the first time that a foreign show has been nominated as a drama.
0: It's an excellent show. It's very well done. Really good show. Really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, I did too. It was.
0: I think the worst thing that they're doing is making real Squid Game. Just shows an ignorance to anything that that show was talking about or representing, but sure.
1: No, I'm all so. for it. I like getting the message wrong. Yeah. They're just being so like, we do you best... know what? I side with the bad guys.
0: <laughs> that's, 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 we're not Americans if we're not misinterpreting it.
1: Exactly. So. You got it. It's <laughs> a good episode. So. Check it out. You can, you can pay for it, you can rent it. Uh, You can stream it on Spanish Disney Plus. Uh, And it's probably on effedupmovies.com, but I'm not quite sure. (laughs) I didn't look it up. I didn't have to. I just had to travel to Madrid. I think something that I'm I'm learning,
0: not to cut you off there, but something I'm learning real quick. Yeah, uh, I really like films from the early 2000s, like 99... To like 2004 such a good time for film like you didn't think it was but like it really was there's was a lot of really good movies that came out of that you got all
1: period. the lord of the rings
0: oh god no well that's it good that happened during that time you got them all <laughs> yeah every one of them no like we covered vanilla sky that came out in that time period and that kind of stuff like it's just a really good time for film Requiem
1: for a dream. We were talking about that.
0: Requiem. Yeah, that's a good good one. And then Pi came out before that, so that's like, you know, I didn't make your cutoff
1: though. You said 99. Isn't that
0: 99? I think it's 98. Is it 98? Shit. I don't I don't know. (laughs) Uh, That's fair. But yeah, that's a good time for film. I'm really loving this time period for film.
1: Same. Well, Until next time. See ya.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: We are Cinema De More. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Bodbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.